If you have your Bibles, um, you can turn with me to uh, the book of Nehemiah. I'll be looking there in just a few short minutes here. Um, because we're going to cover like six chapters in like, you know, a little under two hours, um, we're going... Evidently, no one believes me. Um, no, I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version. So I'm going to be kind of all over the place. Um, so I don't have the words on the screen for you. So um, use your phones, use your iPads, whatever you have, um, or the Bible in the pew in front of you. So last week, I began this message series um, with a call to action. Um, I challenged each one of us uh, to begin dreaming again. I believe God is calling us as individuals and as a community of Jesus followers to begin dreaming again about how God wants to use us to impact the kingdom of God. Over the next few weeks, we're, we're going to dive into the book of Nehemiah which is actually one of my favorite um, books in Scripture. Uh, the book of Nehemiah takes place um, after a 70-year period of time that the Jewish nation had actually been in exile. They had been taken into exile by the Babylonians from Jerusalem. And, and Nehemiah, we find that he is a Jew himself who was actually one of those who remained in Babylon. You see, because there had been a wave of the Jews that had been released to go back to Jerusalem, but for whatever reason, we're not really sure what that reason is, Nehemiah chose to stay in Babylon. Nehemiah was actually um, the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. So the cupbearer um, had a pretty important job. Um, he had to drink everything before the king did. Because, you know, back then they were afraid that someone was going to try and kill the king. So they had somebody who had to taste the food before the king did. And for Nehemiah, he had to drink from the cup every time before the king did just to make sure that it wasn't poison. And so he literally was in charge of the king's cup. And so we find, picking up in Nehemiah chapter 1, looking at dreaming and, and what that means for us, I want to look at Nehemiah's story and think about how we can relate it to dreaming for us today? What does it mean when we choose to follow God's dreams for our lives? Because there are circumstances behind it. When we make that decision to say, God, I want to follow the dreams that you have for me, the things that you've created me for, the purpose that you've put me on this earth for, those are the things that I want to pursue with my life. We have to realize that there are things that we're going to face because of that decision. 
just as much as there's things that we're going to face if we choose not to follow God's desire for our lives. So in chapter 1 of the book of Nehemiah, we find that Nehemiah has been given a report on the status of Jerusalem and the Jews who had already gone back to Jerusalem. As you see, the Jewish people had become overwhelmed by the work that needed to be done to rebuild Jerusalem. They, they had to rebuild literally the entire city. But while they wanted to rebuild the entire city, they couldn't really get to building the buildings because they hadn't even started rebuilding the wall that protected them from outside enemies. And so we see in this first section that Nehemiah is overwhelmed himself. He's really struggling with what he's hearing about his people, knowing that they're in this situation. And he's struggling with it. It says in verse 4, when he heard these things, he says, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. His first response is to go to God. His first response with the news that he's heard is to mourn, but also to seek God's guidance, to pray to God for help. He confesses the sins of the people, the things that they had done that literally led them to be in exile from the Babylonians. And he, he finishes this prayer to, to God, and he says in the end of verse 11 of chapter 1, he says, Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. By giving him favor in the presence of this man. You see, God's dreams for you are connected to your relationship with God. We can't understand the dreams that God has for us separated from the God who's giving them to us. The first thing that Nehemiah did was to seek God. But he also has a step of faith in that. The very last thing that I just read for you says, Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. This man that he's talking about is the king. You see, when he was in the presence of the king, he was to do one thing. Hold the king's cup and drink from it before the king did. He wasn't allowed to speak. He wasn't allowed to look at the king. He wasn't allowed to make eye contact. He had to look down and look away. He could not look at the king. He could not speak to the king. But what we're going to see is that Nehemiah had a dream to be used by God for his people in Jerusalem. So he goes into the king. And we find that as he goes into the king, 
the king realizes that there's something wrong with Nehemiah. In the first part of, of chapter, uh, chapter 2, end of verse 2, beginning of verse 3, Nehemiah acknowledges, he says, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king. He said this because the king, he said, like, what's, what's wrong with you? Well, see, he can talk if the king says you can talk, right? He got permission. But he says he was still afraid. But he had faith. You see, when we follow God's dreams, he will open doors that we did not know were even there. You see, when Nehemiah went into the king's presence, he had no clue what was going to happen. But he put faith that God would open the right doors. And so he began to tell the king about the situation that his people were facing back in Jerusalem. The struggles that they were having. And he realizes that the king was going to give him permission to do the things that he was dreaming about. That didn't happen without God's help, without God's assistance. But then the king starts to ask him questions. What are you going to do when you go? Uh, when are you coming back? How long are you going to be gone? He begins to ask him all of these questions, but Nehemiah doesn't know the answers to them. You see, sometimes the dreams that God gives us, we won't know all of the answers to all of the questions that you're going to have and that other people are going to have. That's the hardest thing for churches to do. It's to step out in faith and do something that they feel like God is leading them to do. But a lot of times they don't do it because we don't have enough information. We don't have all the answers to all the questions that everyone has. Therefore, we stay back and we don't go into or step into the life that God has called us to, the, the vision that he has for a church. A lot of time it's stifled because we want all the answers. We don't get all the answers because we wouldn't need faith if we had all the answers. So he gets to go. But then, you know, once God gives you the open door, Nehemiah starts walking through it. Okay, you're going to send me. Oh, by the way, will you uh, not just send me, but will you send me with supplies? Will you actually fund the rebuilding of Jerusalem? Do you get the significance of that? The very people who took them into exile and took them prisoner for over 70 years, were now going to be the ones to rebuild Jerusalem. So Nehemiah goes, and we see that the first thing he does at the end of chapter 2, when he gets there, starting in verse 11 through the end of that chapter, we see that he does something specific. He makes a plan. You see, just because God gives you a dream doesn't mean you just fly by the seat of your pants. 
You see, when God gives us a dream, it still requires us to have a plan. To actually sit down and think about and process what are the things that we're going to do? What are the things we're going to need? Try to answer those questions as much as we can, but go prepared. And so before he even addresses any of the people in Jerusalem, the people didn't even know what he was there for. He just happened to show up, and then it says at night, he gets on a horse and he starts riding around to every gate in Jerusalem, inspecting the wall, inspecting what work needed to be done for the people of Jerusalem to get to work. So he made a plan, and then he goes and he addresses the people So he goes and he begins to address the people in chapter 3 and he tells them, this is what you're going to do and this is what you're going to do and this is what I need you to do and you need to do your job and your job and your... And he tells all of these people what they need to do. He has a plan. Now he gives instructions for the plan. You see, one of the things about God's dreams for us that we don't fully think through is the fact that God's dreams for us a lot of times require us to rely on other people. We don't like that part. We want to be able to do it ourselves. God, you called me to this. Why do I need to rely on someone else to help me with this part or to do this part of the ministry or to help feed these people? When, But you see, just because it's your dream doesn't mean God isn't going to use other people to help fulfill the dream. Nehemiah chapter 4 is an important chapter. And then as you read a little more, you go on in chapter 6 as another important chapter, especially when we're talking about our dreams, but also about leadership and, and being a leader. You see, if it's your dream, you have to be the leader of that dream, right? So that there's a part of leadership that people will say, well, I'm not a leader. Well, then how are you working on yourself? How are you leading yourself? How are you going about carrying out the dreams that God has called you to. You've got to lead somebody. If you can't lead yourself, probably not going to be able to lead anybody else in their dream. But you see, one of the greatest lessons we can learn and go into our dreams is that when we seek to follow God's dreams, we need to expect conflict. We need to expect failure. And we need to plan for setbacks. You see, we don't like to think about those things. You see, I don't know about you, but whenever I think about a vision, a plan, a dream, I think about all of the things that are going to succeed, all of the great things, all of the, the things that are going to happen at the end of the fulfillment of that dream. I don't want to think about the conflict that's going to happen. You see, a lot of times when we have a dream from God, you have to plan on conflict on the outside. Because if God has put a dream in you, that means that Satan is going to do everything he can 
to squash that dream? What are you going to do when conflict comes? So Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod, they all came together with one purpose, to stop the people of Jerusalem. They realized that if they succeeded in building this wall, they would be able to keep them out. And then they wouldn't have control over them anymore. So they did everything they could to stop them. They first started with idle threats. Let's just threaten them a little bit, get in their head, and hopefully they'll back off. You see, how you respond to the things that come against you is an important part of being successful and fulfilling the dreams. You see, in in Nehemiah 4, verse 9, He talks about all the things that they tried and then it goes on and says, but we prayed to our God. That was their response to the conflict that was coming against them. Their first response wasn't to sit down and have a meeting of the minds and say, how do we need to respond to this? Their first thought was, we need to go to God because God is the one who put the dream in us. Now we need to seek his guidance on how he can help us continue the dream. This one rang true for me before I had even gotten into ministry. I believe that God had called me into ministry. I believe that ministry was where I was supposed to go. I was supposed to be a pastor. Um, I was in my third year of online seminary. Asbury Theological Seminary, third year, getting ready to go into my fourth year. And I'm thinking, yes, I'm going to wrap this up. I can be a pastor. Well, they tell me, um, to finish your degree, you, you now have to go live on campus for the last year of the program. Let me rewind a little bit. The program that I started, I started it intentionally. It was a program specifically for people who worked in secular jobs. Okay, So they worked outside of the church who could get their work on their degree at the same time. So I started this program. I was like, this is perfect. So I took a week-long intensive class on campus. I took another two-week-long campus or intensive. And, and so then I started looking at all the classes I had to finish that year, and they were three weeks and a month and, and like six weeks. And I'm like, so I called my advisor and was like, how in the world am I supposed to do this? I work for a secular company. Uh, they're never going to say, here, take six weeks vacation, like free of charge. It doesn't happen. And they said, oh, well, you're supposed to move here for the last year of the program. Well, you left that part out three years ago. You see, Jennifer had already been in her job at Indiana Wesleyan for almost 15 years. And I believe that God had called me to ministry in this area. So I wasn't going to uproot my family for a year, move down there, finish my degree, and then move us back. All for Jennifer to start all over again and me to start my ministry. So I did what every rational person would do, that I threatened God.
not really, but it kind of went like this. God, you called me to ministry. If you called me to ministry, if it's true that you called me into ministry, I need you to figure out a way for me to be able to finish my degree. That was how that prayer went. And I didn't say it as nicely as I did right then. I was angry. I was frustrated. Six months earlier, I had been told the Wesleyan church would never start a seminary because I was a Wesleyan ministerial student at the time. I was told they would never start a seminary. Seminaries are a drain on money. They just suck money. They don't make money. And so Wesleyan Church is never going to start one. Literally two weeks after I prayed that prayer to God, Indiana Wesleyan announced, and the Wesleyan Church announced, that they were going to start within a year Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan. Did I tell you I live in Gas City? Like, he he not only provided the school, but he literally did it like five miles away. So I sat out a year and I transferred to Wesley Seminary. I finished my degree. I became a pastor. But I said, God, you started me on this journey. My faith is only in you to get me through it. What are you going to do, God? Putting faith in God. God's not afraid of your anger at him. So many people think, oh, I can't be angry at God. I can't question God. You see, God wants you to be who you are. He wants to know the feelings that you have. He wants you to be honest with him. Because you can only work through things when you're honest with Him. So they pray. And then they reevaluate. You see, they, they took another picture of the, the, the process, the, the dream that they had. And it says in, in Nehemiah 4 verse 14, it says, After I looked things over, it's like, okay, let's step back. Let's reevaluate. How are we going to do this? And they begin to reevaluate what they needed to do to be successful. They did not focus on their enemies. They focused on the dream. You see, you won't get anywhere in life if you focus on what Satan might do to you on what Satan wants to do to you. You see, we have to focus on the dream that God has put in our heart. Here's the sad part about conflict. Not only does conflict come from outside, conflict comes from inside from those people that you're leading, those people that that you want to invest in your dream, those people that you want to to be supportive and have your back. You see, they're not going to believe sometimes in the dream. They're going to think you're a little crazy. 
But yet what you do with that will dictate things. In Nehemiah chapter 5, people come to Nehemiah and they begin to complain a little bit. Not complain, just put it out there. You see, they had come out of slavery from Babylon to Jerusalem where they were free again. But yet, the people didn't have jobs because they they couldn't work the land because they couldn't be protected from the people outside the walls. They couldn't work to, to feed their families. And so they had to take out loans to be able to pay for grain to feed their families. But the nobles or the leaders of the, in, in Jerusalem, the Jewish leaders, were charging an extremely high amount of interest to their own people. And because of that, the people couldn't afford to pay the loans. So what they were doing was that they were having to trade their kids and send them to be slaves for their fellow Jews. The very thing that they, God brought them out of, they put themselves into. Nehemiah has a come-to-the-dream reality with those nobles. Why are you doing the very thing that God called us out of? He goes on to tell them, you're going to stop charging interest at all. No interest. You're going to make the payments reasonable. Any child that has been given into slavery, you're going to free them. You're going to give their kids back. Because that's not what we're about. A little later, in chapter 5, you see, when we have dreams, we also have sacrifices. You see, Nehemiah became the governor because of the things that he was doing, because of his leadership was being so successful. They decided, we want you to be the one leader in the area. You're going to be our governor. And he said, okay, I agree to be your leader, but what I will not do is I will not accept any food that is brought to the king's table. You see, because his people were starving, But no matter the condition of the people, the king always had a full spread. Whether he ate it or not. But he said, you know, I'm not going to eat that. Give that away to the people who need it. Not only did he say, you know what, I'm not going to eat the food from the king's table. I'm not even going to purchase any land. At the time, he was the richest person in Jerusalem. And he said, you know, I don't don't need land. I'm not going to purchase any land. I want the people to have that land so that they can work the land and so that they can be successful as well. Our dreams sometimes require sacrifices. Last week, I talked about 
how as a church, we're, we're at a, a, a vital transition place, a vital, important place where we have two options. We can live in this reality of being under some dark cloud that we need to get out from under, or we can live in a reality that says there are still opportunities that God is not done dreaming with us yet. So what are we going to do with that? There's conflicts. How are we going to handle those conflicts? There's frustrations. The question becomes, what is the dream? Whose dream is it? And what's our role within the dream? Next week, we'll begin to look at some of those questions. One of the things that I'll I'll give you a little um, teaser, hopefully you guys come back after I say this, because some of you might be like, no, I'm out. Um, God's dreams that he has for churches involves each one of us to get out of the way. I'm just going to leave it at that. Involves us to get out of the way. Whose way? God's way. We'll look a little more at Nehemiah. We'll talk about what God's dreams may be for this church. In a couple weeks, I'm going to share what I believe God is, is putting on my heart for this congregation, for this church, as we, we look to move into the future. We need to look at the dream that God has for us. You see, because I believe as a church, we've lost sight of the dream. It's time for us to step back and reevaluate why are we here? Why is this congregation in Gas City, Indiana? What is our purpose? What is our purpose? What is the dream? that God's called us to. Stand with me. If you just reach out your hands and just receive this blessing. God, I thank you for the dreams that you put within our hearts. There are opportunities that you're calling us to step out in faith, to to impact your kingdom to be a person that seeks to honor you with our lives to go beyond what is comfortable to what is praiseworthy to go beyond what is about us to what is about your kingdom God I pray that you would speak into our hearts that you would open our minds this week to receive from you. To learn to walk in faith. To walk out into the dreams that you've called us to. Help us to see the opportunities that are ahead. Shine your light within, within the 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 pessimism and the negativity that we might feel and have. 
Help us to step out in faith so that you might be glorified. Amen.